0: Good afternoon, good morning, good evening, wherever you are in the world. Welcome to Office Hours. I'm your host, Daniel Pink, broadcasting from our state-of-the-art facility here in my garage in Washington, D.C. Thanks for being one of the several hundred listening live right now. Uh, or the tens of thousands who will be listening to this recording on iTunes. And that number, I'm happy to say, is growing each week. It's actually quite extraordinary. Uh, There are two things that many people in business don't like uh, that feel a little bit icky, sales and networking. A lot of people say, hey, to do any of those well, you have to be a little bit deceitful, tricky, Maybe even a bit weaselly. Well, our guest today has spent his career saying, uh, no, you don't. You can actually be an okay human being and still sell without being a slime ball and network without being a weasel. At age 26, he bought a failing envelope company in Minnesota and before long turned it into a multi-million dollar business with 500 employees. He's written a bunch of books on everything from getting a job to getting a clue. Seven New York Times bestsellers, among them the legendary Swim with the Sharks Without Being Eaten Alive. Another one, Beware the Naked Man Who Offers You His Shirt. And actually my favorite of them all, which is Dig Your Well Before You're Thirsty. His books are packed. They're actually brimming with what he calls fortune cookies, little one-liners of advice that could fit, yep, on the fortune in one of those cookies in Chinese restaurants. His new book is no exception. It's got fortune cookies galore. It's called The McKay MBA of Selling in the Real World, and it's my pleasure to be able to talk to its author. Harvey McKay, welcome to Office Hours.
1: Hey, I've been looking forward to this, uh, thanks for having me. Just terrific. Uh,
0: it's, a, it's a pleasure. Where are you right now?
1: Well, I'm in my office, uh, Minneapolis, Minnesota, Siberia. Uh, uh, a little <laughs> snowstorm last week, but uh, I will survive. Uh, no question about it. The company I I founded again at age 26. I I still have it. We make uh, 30 million envelopes every day. Uh, sell them around the world, which means you have to. If you make them, you have to sell 30 million <laughs> envelopes, okay, every single day. So sure, uh, then you get a big uh, warehouse of envelope. Yeah, well, a nice $100 million business, uh, got about 110 competitors, and, and uh, proud to say we've always been kind of one, two, three in the United States these past uh, three or four decades.
0: All right, always pushing the envelopes there. So yeah. uh, let, me, let me explain to you, which I think was a subtitle of one of your books. How to push the envelope, right?
1: That is, that so. is correct, pushing, pushing yeah. the envelope, correct. Yeah.
0: Uh, let me uh, explain to you, Harvey, and to our audience just how office hours works. Uh, on each program, we open the phone lines for an hour, and our guest and I then take your questions, questions about work, business, life, careers, anything you want. So if you're out there listening, if you're some of the several hundred listening right now, and you want to ask a question, just press on your phone, star 2, Star two. That's only if you want to ask a question. If you want to ask a question, press star two. That will allow our crack team of producers to see you on the control panel. I will say your name, something like Fred in St. Louis. You're on the air, and you can ask away. Uh, What we've also found on a lot of our previous episodes is that a lot of people like to ask questions via Twitter, and that's great, too. We get a lot of great questions on Twitter. And if you'd like to do that, just ask the question and just include my handle, which is at Daniel Pink, at Daniel Pink. We'll be following that stream, and we'll get a lot of good questions uh, for Harvey via Twitter. Uh, but I get to start. One of the privileges of having this show is that I get to ask the first question. So let's talk with Harvey. Um, now, you've been in business a, a long time, um, but, but tell us what – I'm always curious to ask this question to people. What was your very first job, Harvey? What was your first job?
1: Well, first of all, uh, even before that, I always wanted to be an entrepreneur, still have trouble spelling the word, so that's what I wanted <laughs> to be. And that first job, which is covered in the first uh, first couple chact- chapters of the book, was uh, I was delivering newspapers. My father was a national syndicated columnist, headed the Associated Press here in the Twin Cities for 35 years. Uh, I now write for 100 newspapers and about 10 million newspapers every single week in a weekly column, and so I'm out there delivering newspapers. What did I learn from it? Well, how,
0: old, how old were you when you were delivering newspapers?
1: Uh, I started at age 11 or 12, approximately. got up at 2.30 in the morning, and I delivered that Minneapolis Star and Tribune and the St. Paul Pioneer Press and Dispatch, uh, both of the cities. But, but look at the lessons that you learn. Look at the, the take home value that you get when you're just doing an odd job like delivering newspapers, which I think, again, uh, sets the stage for the rest of your life. I'm learning how to sell. I had to knock on doors, will you buy this newspaper? I had to learn about accounts receivable. I had to learn about customer complaints. I had people that wanted that paper on the top step, especially when it's Mm. 20 below windchill, you know, here in Minneapolis and St. Paul. Uh, People skills, uh, all of these things, organization, uh, that stayed with me the rest of my life. So I have always mentored, probably mentored 500 people in my life, that have come through the front door where I'm, I'm broadcasting from right now with you, and I would uh, I would always tell them go get a summer job in between you if you're going to college in between those years high school go get a summer job in your high school years and learn something from it take on some responsibility know that the entitlements aren't there the rest of your life.
0: Yeah, it's interesting advice because I think a lot of folks, especially uh, people. Uh, you know, suburban and folks who uh, whose kids are going to college uh, often tell their kids, "Oh, you got to get a more prestigious internship. You got to go, you know, get an unpaid job." Work fancy. There's some fancy organization thing. Mm-hmm. Is actually something like delivering papers or um, something more entrepreneurial, more um, hands-on is actually going to be more valuable to them.
1: Well, I worked uh, four straight years uh, through college at Howdy from Howard's, the name of the men's store. And what am I selling? (laughs) Underwear, ties, tankies, pants, sport coats. And again, you know, uh, uh, Lee Iacocca once said, anyone who doesn't get along with people has earned the kiss of death. Because that's all we've got around here are people. And so uh, just imagine a, a 17, 18, 19 year old kid having customers walk in the store waiting on them. Again, you know, hopefully selling them something they'll be proud of. I mean, all of those things give and take psychology of selling. That, that's great experience for a summer job.
0: Uh, yeah. What did you, what did you learn selling underwear and ties?
1: <laughs> I learned one thing right away, boy, and I've used it the rest of my life, too. The manager, first time I was selling ties, I had 12 ties out on that counter. I thought, boy, is that ever terrific. Give them all that selection. Customer left. Manager comes over. Young man, three ties. Don't put more than three ties on the Interesting. counter. You confuse them.
0: <laughs> Interesting. So yeah, is yeah, that, that's, thick, that's a fast, the yeah, three-tie rule. You know,
1: Little things mean a lot, not true. Little things mean everything. And that was just a little thing. Uh, But I try to learn something in every single facet of life, whatever I'm doing. I'm always trying to look for a little lesson, a little bit of a moral. And, again, uh, being the son of a a national syndicated columnist, uh, my dad would have, we called it the icebox. He'd have these sayings, these pithy sayings, uh, these aphorisms. I'm an aphorism junkie. On everywhere. Sure. I mean, everywhere, you know, shaving, you know, it'd be on the mirror, go out to the car, it's on the dashboard, open up the refrigerator, the icebox, there it is pasted. We didn't have post-it notes in those days. But of course, I, I live in the in the background of 3M, who invented sure. the, the little post-it note. And I, I can't give a speech without post-it notes. I can't go anywhere without post-it notes.
0: So all these fortune cookies, these great one-liners, these, and I have a whole bunch of them that I've that I've selected to have you talk a little bit about. Those started from your father, who would who would put them in random places around your house.
1: Yes, he did. Yes, he did. Wow. And uh, okay. they, uh, you know, he, I, I, I kind of like to live my life on aphorisms. I think you, you just pound them into your head and, and, sure. and just just to absolutely start living. Those principles, it's very important. You know, I'd like to say one thing, if I could, about the book, uh, The KMB of Selling in the Real World, just to set the table kind of for the questions and hopefully answers uh, that we might have in the ensuing minutes and as we go through the program, and that is as follows. Every single listener out there, he or she, whether you like it or not, you are a salesperson. From the moment you get up in the morning... To the moment Amen. that you go to bed, what are you doing all day? You're communicating. You're negotiating. You're persuading. You're influencing. So therefore, if you don't believe that, then then believe me. All right, you're becoming influenced, all right, and being persuaded by someone else. That's not the way to live your life. So all of us are salespeople out there.
0: Yeah, that's good. I think that's a, I think that's a really good point. Let me let me let me let me, let me uh, take a little. Um, uh, ride on that idea here for a moment so you've distilled in, in this book it, the book is, is the McKay MBA of Selling in the Real World it has an introduction by the legendary football coach Luke Holtz um, you said um, so it's basically you know, your own kind of MBA in, in how to sell what's curious is that the vast majority of actual MBA programs don't teach sales. in fact many of them don't even have a single course why, why do you think that is?
1: Well, because selling's a negative word. Selling's a dirty yeah. word at, at the top of the program. Uh, uh, you know, nobody go on. Yeah. I speak once a week, uh, the past 24 years, to a Fortune 1000 company, or associations or privately held companies, but small, medium and large companies too. Do you know that nine out of 10 companies I speak to don't have a sales force? All, oh, we're advisors, we're counselors, mm. We're account executives. I mean, there's 15 different names they call themselves, but sales, we don't have salespeople. I I mean, it's, it's laughable because guess what? There are no jobs in this country. There are no companies. There's no business community. You don't have factories. You don't have law firms. You don't have anything unless someone brings the business through the front door. Now, yep. you have to have teamwork once they, you know, I've got, once again, we're up to 650 people here, $100 billion in sales. But until someone brings the order through the front door, our people out in the factory don't have a job. Now, if they don't perform out in the factory, which is teamwork, okay, then, of course, uh, the salespeople don't have a job either. Uh, so that teamwork uh, is very important also. But th- back to your question, sales, unfortunately, a negative word. And you know what I have on my calling card? Harvey McKay. It doesn't say CEO and founder. It doesn't say president and chief executive officer. You know what it says? Harvey McKay, envelope salesman. Nice. Proud of. That's what I've nice. had for 40 years.
0: Wow. Excellent. So it's interesting because I've been doing a lot of re- – I've been doing a lot of thinking and research on sales these days, and, and a lot of people, when they think of a salesman, they conjure up an image of some fast-talking guy in a splat, plaid sport coat who's trying to sell you a lemon in a used car lot. Um, that's that's – why is it, that's not a fair characterization, is it?
1: Well, no, but of course in the industry, obviously, you've got all your speedy Gonzalez's. You, you've got people who <laughs> tell the truth, but only half the truth. And of course, but is that a hundred percent of the sales industry? No, two, three, four, five percent. We used to kid about used car salesmen, you know, out there. Uh, and and so every industry will always have their charlatans. I don't care what industry sure. we're talking about. And we've seen the whole country unfold, uh, you know, from the bankers to the stockbrokers to the yeah. misrepresentations of all the people. But. But by and large, no, 95% of them are solid out there, but it only takes a few, of course, you know, to absolutely, what I tell you, you know, one little rotten apple in the whole in the whole jar and all that, or cookie, that spoils the whole thing for a lot of people. But I'm, a, again, I'm a proud uh, salesperson, uh, yes, I'm a founder and I'm a CEO, uh, and I want to tell you, any listener out there, the best advice, well, I could give them a lot of advice, but I'm a proud graduate of the Dale Carnegie School of Sales. I'm a proud graduate of Toastmasters International. I mean, I mean, if you can speak on your feet, which my father, again, at age 21, pushed me over the cliff, and I joined the oldest Toastmasters uh, organization in the world, not the United States, huh. in the world. And so what happened at age 21, uh, once I started entering competition, also very proud that I was named one of the five top speakers in the world by Toastmasters International a few years ago, along with, with uh, Cuomo, Governor Cuomo, uh, Tony Robbins was in that group, uh, Nina Totenberg, and I can't remember the, uh, the fifth person. But, but what happens when you go to Toastmasters? What happens when, when you become a better public speaker? You become a better communicator. You become a better leader you're a better negotiator, Uh, you're you're a better salesperson, you're a better manager, Uh, which then leads into the most important chapter in the book uh, again, and that is, if I may continue on, and and the point is this, and this, everybody, you should be taking notes out there, not just from me, (laughs) but from from anybody, uh, forget about me, anybody that you interview, anybody, time you're listening to a radio program, listening on television, go to a speech, you should be taking notes. Uh, why? Pale ink is better than the most retentive memory, which means write it down. Very important. You forget 50% of what you hear in four hours. Uh, so, uh, once again, uh, uh, I lost my train of thought there for a moment, as to as to why uh, I was gonna I was gonna mention one other very important point about selling, and I'm sure it'll come back to me.
0: Well, let uh, me let me let me ask you a question then about that. We're talking here to Harvey McKay, the McKay MBA of selling in the real world, is his latest book, uh, following on the heels of some blockbusters like Swim with the Sharks. Uh, if you've got a question for. Uh, Harvey, just press. And you're listening in live right now, not on iTunes. You're listening in live. Just press start two. That'll put you in line to ask a question about sales, about networking, about anything that you'd like. So, um, you know, I was reading this this really interesting and very aphoristic book. And one question that I have for you is: Do effective salespeople have to be smooth talkers? You were talking about Toastmasters and public speaking and all that. Is is that the most important skill a salesperson has to have? Is the ability to talk smoothly?
1: Not at all. Probably probably one of the last. Nobody wants to buy from New York, Madison Avenue, Slick. No, but, but you have, we have three kinds of vocabulary, speaking vocabulary, writing vocabulary, and a reading vocabulary. And if you have a good speaking vocabulary, then you can really describe what you're selling. You can show your passion. You can have instant credibility. I mean, I mean, I mean. You can take all presidents, many presidents. I think Reagan could have been president without being a tremendous presenter. It uh, doesn't matter what your uh, politics are—Democrat, Republican, Independent. Of course, if, uh, if President Obama was just a, a B-minus speaker, he wouldn't have one chance in a hundred, okay, to to be president of the United States. And you, so you can go to all kinds of leaders. They have to be able to express themselves. They don't They don't have to be smooth talkers uh, like yeah. people think they have to do. Incidentally, if I can just return to that salient uh, chapter in the book of practice makes perfect, not true. You have to add one word. Perfect practice makes perfect. You practice something time and time again, yep. Dan, and if you don't know what you're doing, all you're really doing is perfecting an error. You put a ceiling on how good you can become. Example, there's 20 million golfers out there in the U.S. Uh, you can go out and play eight days a week. You can practice eight days a week of golf. If you've got a loop in your swing, what are you doing? You're perfecting an error. Again, put a ceiling on how good you can become. So, therefore, I have coaches. I hire coaches for everything. I have a writing coach. I have a humor coach. I have a language coach. I've studied Russian, Chinese, Japanese, and Arabic, traveled to those countries, and delivered speeches for the first 10 minutes in those languages. Uh, I've got a a marathon coach, run 10 marathons, uh, Boston's, New York's, you name it. I have a golf coach. I got a speech coach. I have a skiing coach. I have a memory coach. I was working with him in New York uh, just six weeks ago. Now, here's the gist of the book among many gists, okay? Whatever my God-given talent is, Dan, whatever my God-given potential is, that's it. I can't do any better. So (laughs) I make a decision. What I'm going to do, I'm going to accomplish this goal, whatever it is, or this project. I have a time and action calendar. A goal is a dream with a deadline. And then I try my guts out, all right? because I'm already practicing the right concepts and guess what? I don't have to worry about anything. And I never do. I can't do any better. So that's what I'm saying to the listeners out there. And when you if you get my book and forget about it doesn't have to be my book, any self help book. All right, don't if you buy my book, don't read it. Please don't read it if you buy it. Study it. Underline it. Mm. Highlight it. Use post it notes rough it up then you'll have your mba in the real world and incidentally uh 24 years ago when i wrote swim with the sharks without being eaten alive uh, i had a three-week world war three fight with my publisher william morrow and company i want to be the first author in the country last page of the book money back guarantee if you don't like swim with the sharks well i finally prevailed guess what Five million people the first year bought that book. Eighteen people asked for their money back. Seven of them were my best friends.
0: Ah. Well, this book, too, the uh, the McKay MBA of Selling in the Real World does, at the very last page, right, uh, right after the index, has a money-back guarantee. In fact, Harvey says, I hope you enjoy my book. I'm so confident of the effectiveness of this advice that if you don't find it beneficial, I will personally refund your purchase price. Just You've send a it. letter and your proof of purchase, and then it has his, his – so that's a pretty – that's a very sturdy, sturdy guarantee. Let's talk about practice here for a moment. You were talking about studying books and not simply reading them, underlining them, making it part of, of who you are. Let me give you, bounce a few things that I underlined in your, in your book. That one of them has to do with practice. You say, amateurs practice until they get it right. Professionals practice until they can't get it wrong. What do you mean?
1: Well, you have to uh, – I've written uh, seven books times – I've written 490,000 words, uh, uh, 19 years of, of once, 19 years once a week writing my column, whatever that is, times 52, times 19. Yeah. And, and there's one underlying theme, three words, prepare to win, boring hmm. I mean, how would you like, instead of reading *Swim with the Sharks*, you want to write a book *Prepare to Win*? No. Right. And so, and so, of course, you don't open up on Broadway. You open up in New Haven. You, you think a trial <laughs> lawyer? You think a trial uh, lawyer would would just go go make a submission to the jury without practicing on his partners for hours and hours and hours? I was the. Uh, I was the commencement speaker at USC three years ago, a commencement speaker at Penn State University. I mean, if I'm writing a 30-minute speech, it's 30 hours of preparation. If I'm your best man, Dan, at your wedding, and you say, Harvey, I want you to give a five-minute talk toast, that'll take me five hours. So the preparation hmm. to win, the doing the homework, is just critical to getting a job, to selling an account, to being successful, that's what that means.
0: Well, here's another one that I think is related to it, and I love this one. This might be my favorite one. It says, "Being a mule beats being an ass any day."
1: <laughs> well, well, first of all, it's the tortoise, you know, and you 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 have to. But I've got a terrific, terrific joke, but I don't think we have time, time to tell that. Uh, oh sure we but, do, and, and I want to know
0: whether did your humor coach give you that joke? I want to know what a humor coach does, Harvey. Well,
1: does, does the uh, humor coach right, let's let, let's let's uh, let's let's go to the humor coach first, then we'll come back to the mule. All right. All right.
0: Let's yeah, go.
1: Yeah, I think you uh, see today, and it was true 40 years ago. Uh, uh, if you're going to take a class, uh, history of World War II 101, there are two professors. One guy was boring. Again, you'd he, rather watch two guys fish, and the other person teaching the course. My guy, Professor Deutsch, was exciting because he had some humor every four, five, six, seven minutes. So you become an entertainer. Uh, I speak from 90 minutes to four hours, audiences from from 250 to 15,000 dome stadiums, and you have to entertain while you're teaching. That's just so very important. So, yeah, I have a humor coach. I have people calling me up all the time, giving me one-liners and so forth. Then I turn them into lessons. Uh, a couple that come to, come to mind right now, uh, uh, I talk about only in America and opportunities and all that. And this is a, this is a true story. They said to Yogi Berra, yeah, did you hear they just elected a Jewish mayor in Dublin? And Yogi said, only in America. And, and yeah. so, when you when you have thirty, forty, fifty stories like that, uh, uh, you yeah. know, and sayings and aphorisms, people are thinking. You're entertaining them, but you're also you're not just telling a joke to tell a joke. Uh, you're uh, let, let me talk about teamwork for a minute. Uh, an example sure, that I use about teamwork. And this is what I get from my from my humor coaches and so forth. But this really tells a a lesson too. Every lesson that I have with the story. Gives you some take-home value. Uh, value. Okay. So there's a uh, the story I tell from the podium is uh, about teamwork. After talking about teamwork for three, four, five minutes, fellow's driving his car 30 miles outside the city. Rainstorm comes up. Car stuck in the mud. Sees a farmyard 200 yards away. Walks for three minutes. Raps on the door. Farmer opens the door. He says, "My car's stuck up there on the highway. Might you be able to help?" The farmer says, well, I have a blind mule named Elmo out in the back. Fine. They tread Elmo through the muck and mire 200 yards. Farmer hooks him up to the to the car, and the farmer hollers out, pull, Sam. Pull. And nothing happens. Pull, Jesse. Pull. Nothing happens. Pull, Jackson. Pull. Nothing happens. Pull, Elmo. Pull. <laughs> Bang. Elmo rips and roars that car right out of the mud. And the driver looks at him and says, ah. I don't understand what you have to call out all those different names for. Look, if he didn't think he had any help, he wouldn't even try.
0: <laughs> it's a good joke. That's in the book. That was actually one of my favorite jokes in the book. Oh, thank um, you. Okay. Uh, so actually, if it, that, that's on page one seventy-three, for those of you following at home, it's a terrific joke. In fact, I actually flagged it myself. I think it's actually quite funny. Yeah, but and there's a hundred.
1: To, there's a hundred stories like that. Uh,
0: there are there are a thousand fortune co- there are a thousand fortune cookies in here as well. Let me get to a few more of them here. Remind everybody that we're talking to Harvey McKay, the legendary Harvey McKay. He's the author of the McKay MBA of Selling in the Real World. Uh, if you have a question for Harvey, just press star two. That's star two on your phone, and uh, you will you'll be able to raise your hand and ask Harvey a question. In fact, let's go to the phones now. Uh, let's go to uh, Chicago, uh, Illinois. Chicago, Illinois. You're on the air. With Harvey Hi. Chicago are you there Hi I'm here this is Dave dalka calling from Chicago how are you guys doing Hey hey Dave uh, what's your question for Harvey Hi Harvey um, you I did a blog interview with you last year and you talked about the the challenges of businesses changing in the digital era which by the way you do a tremendous job of doing for uh, uh, for somebody your age, you, you, you're, you're a role model to everybody. Um, you said the great classical rules of business still hold true, but they need internet technology. Why is this so hard for people to get? It's so simple.
1: Uh, yeah, I think you, you
0: just blanked out for about four words there. I think
1: I got the gist of your your question. Uh, um, if it's, it's why the people, whether you're 80 years of age or 30 years of age, you mean to accept the social media and all the technology that's going on? Was that your question?
0: Yeah, why why is it so hard to bring it back to those basic business principles, is what you said in the Oh, well, oh, well. Why why are people, people, yeah, they want to solve it with the technology, but they're not thinking about the true business issues like you always do.
1: Yeah, well, thank you. Now now I understand exactly the question. Yeah, I opened up kind of in the first part of the book with this philosophy, but you see, People think that there's all these changes in the world to be successful. And from my perspective, there hasn't been one-tenth of one percent any change anywhere in the last hundred years. It's the way we get our information. That's the high-tech and the techies and the technology that right here in the palm of my hand is, is my iPhone. And I mean, right here, okay, and I live in Minneapolis, and and Cold Data, one of the best in the world at the time, Cray Research, Honeywell, all these phenomenal computer companies. I mean, when I walked into my living room at home, I don't have a very big house, but those computers were bigger than, you know, almost my entire two bedrooms, my, my sister's my bedroom. And now in the palm of my hand, I've got more information than they had 30 years ago, which is incredible. But now let's take all the assets to be successful. Nothing has changed. The the most important word in the English language, from my perspective, if you want to be successful, is a five-letter word, T-R-U-S-T. I mean, you can't have a marriage, you can't have a business, you can't have partners, you can't be successful without that word trust. Okay? And ethics. It's just so very, very important. You have to be focused. You have to have goals. You have to be persistent. Uh, all those adjectives that made successful people. And my father, one of the best newspaper men in, in the country, and winning every humanitarian award there was to win. And my mother, a school teacher. And all those people out there around the country that are leading our great companies, uh, they're all successful because of all the principles from the last hundred years, not because of again that iPad again that's staring me in the in the face right now. That's just how we get our information. So people get hung up. People start you know all that digital and all those fingers and all that clicking. What does it do? It stops their people skills, has them take their eye off the ball, and again there's too much of it in the country from my perspective. Uh, I, I'm, I'm a mini techie myself and I know how to use everything, and I write about it all the time, but it's the basic principles that I mentor everyone that walks through my office, and I mentor those things I just talked about. I hope that answers your question, Dave. And I like your Chicago Bulls. I'm an NBA junkie, I'm an <laughs> athletic junkie, and I hope you're following your Chicago Bulls.
0: Uh, thanks, Dave, for the question. Yeah, the Bulls are playing extraordinarily Extraordinarily well. Um, but I want to say just for the live listeners out there that the uh, astonishingly last night, our own Washington Wizards beat the Lakers. So, yeah, now can I, I talk time... about
1: <laughs>
0: can first, I talk... Talk... first about... time in six uh, years?
1: Can... Oh boy, that's a big. That's a humongous victory. I haven't uh, even read the paper this morning. Can I talk about persistence for 20 seconds? I just want to get that. Of course, you can can have 30
0: seconds. You can have 40 if you want, Harvey. Persistence. Talk to us about persistence. But
1: I always Mm -hmm. talk about persistence, and you can't be successful without being persistent. As any kind of business person, a salesperson. True story. Again, I'm I'm uh, 21 years old. Want to start at the top. I uh, think I know everything, again, with my sheepskin, uh, and graduate. They throw the yellow pages at me. I'm an envelope salesman. I'm having all kinds of problems. Uh, my dad says, look for an old grizzly. Maybe he can help you. Mr. Carpenter walks in, 7 o'clock in the morning, Introduce myself. I'm the new kid on the block, new salesperson. And I said, how long do you call on a prospect before you stop calling? And he said, depends on which one of us dies first. Now, now that is persistence. And, sure, and, sure. It, it
0: reminds me of that. There's another old sales adage. Uh, it's not no until they call security. So <laughs> I haven't heard that one. <laughs> oh, yeah, there you go. You can. It can be one of your fortune cookies later on. Let, let's go back to some of these fortune cookies here for a moment. I think some of them are actually quite interesting. Uh, let's go, talk about um, – you know, ethical behavior, and, and and I think that a lot of times people in sales, because of those bad apples, people in sales sometimes get a, a bad rap uh, for being dishonest or for cutting corners. Uh, my view is that is that I think that's more difficult to do these days. In, as Dave was telling us in that call, in a world of social media, in a world where all this information is available, um, that you're actually better off in the long run just being an honest trustworthy, noble person, but you have a nice way to capture that, and you say, and I'd like you to talk about this, you say, live and work like your mother is watching.
1: <laughs> I sure do, and in that chapter, if I, again, uh, you know it took me three and a half years to write the book, but uh, let me go to Professor Bonk from Duke University, I, I think that's in the same chapter, because, and I'll, I'll be very succinct again, but it tells uh, a great story. I don't know if you remember it or not, but it seems like you memorized my book uh, there, Dan, but let's talk about... I didn't read it. I didn't
0: read it. I studied it.
1: You sure did. Uh, This true story, Duke University, Professor Bonk, he taught chemistry. The students called it Bonkistry. And and here, all of a sudden, our three hotshot students, they're doing real well the whole semester. uh, The final exam was on uh, uh, the following Monday. They take take off for Virginia, University of Virginia, on the weekend. Have too much to drink, and all that. Uh, Ran into some problems, of course, uh, having too much to drink, and they uh, they slept over, and they didn't get back until late, late Monday morning. They walked into the professor's office. The three of them said that they were at the University of Virginia visiting friends on their way home yesterday. Had a flat tire didn't have a spare, all kinds of problems. Might they be able to take the test on Tuesday? The next day, Professor Bonk thought for a minute, said, "Okay." next day, the three students arrive, 8 in the morning. Professor puts them into three different rooms, hands them the exam, separate rooms. You may begin. First page for five points was about neutrons or something. Piece of cake question, that was for only five points. They figured, oh, we're all going to ace this baby. They turned the second page for 95 points. Which tire? Now, um, act as if your mother is always watching. There's another way of saying that. You never act, you never say anything, you never do anything unless it can take the front page of of the newspaper the next morning. Again, that's what I learned from my father. So if you sure. always have that in the back of your mind, uh, you know, uh, you, you mentioned Lou Holtz, and I just spent three days of golfing with him, got back late last night. He's my brother. He's my best friend. We're joined at the hip. I brought him the coach at the University of Minnesota uh, more than 25 years ago. We talk every other day. Uh, but Holtz has uh, some philosophies also, which I've learned about. You want to do what's right, he always said, Okay. And do everything you can to help that person. And, of course, the ethics is there. The trust is there. It's so very, very important. Just do the right thing. It's real simple if you live your life that way. And then, and then obviously, you want to be treated like, like you treat everyone else. You treat everyone else exactly how you want to be treated, the golden rule. Uh, those little things, of course, are always in the back of my mind. You picked out a, you picked out a good one there. Act as if your mother is always watching you.
0: That is a good one. Uh, you were talking to Harvey McKay here on Office Hours. Thanks for listening. Uh, if you have a question, hit star two on your phone. Uh, let's take a question here, Harvey, from, uh, from Red Oak. You seen the let's watch. Red Oak, Hi. Texas, you're on Office Hours. Hi, who's this?
1: Hey, Melvin Hall, thanks, Dan and Harvey. I really love y'all's books. I met you in, in Dallas at the Dallas Museum of Arts earlier, Dan. And
0: All right, I'm great. in a hey, high Melvin. school classroom. So what's, your question, what's, your, what's your question for Harvey?
1: Hey, it's open-ended. I'm in a high school classroom, and I, what's one takeaway for high school students? What can they use oh, today? Are,
0: wait, Melvin, are you listening with a high school class right now? Yes. Fantastic. Oh, well. Harvey, you've got a whole audience of, of impressionable 18-year-old, 16-, 17-year-old men and women in the nation's heartland, Red Oak, Texas. Offer your sage counsel, your wise advice, but don't tell them to get a paper route.
1: Okay, but I will tell them, I'll remind them, as I said at the top of the program, pale ink is better than the most retentive memory, which means write it down. So if you're all taking notes, you write this one down. I told you I'm an aphorism junkie. It's right behind me on the back of my wall in my office. If you think education is expensive, try ignorance. Repeat. If you think education <laughs> is expensive, try ignorance. I think the high school classes there are uh, I kind of made a mistake in high school. I was involved in all kinds of athletics. I could have studied more. I didn't wake up till I was in college, University of Minnesota, then on the Stanford University for uh, some, some graduate work. And I can tell you where well, I did very, very well in both uh, environments. But uh, there, there's just no substitute for preparing to win. There's no substitute to know that you don't go to school once for a lifetime. Believe it or not, everybody thinks you go to high school, you go to college, that's it. Nothing could be further from the truth. You're in school all of your life. That's why I take all kinds of classes. That's why I study foreign languages. That's why I go to Toastmasters, become a better speaker. That's why I've got all these coaches helping me, practicing me, doing the right thing. So we talked about it earlier, and I'd like to just repeat Uh, During high school, when you're out there in the summer months, June, July, August, go out there and do some work and get a job. Be responsible. If you can't get the job, that will take in a little money. Hopefully you'll even offer your services free just to get the experience. Very important. Also do that in college. And remember, uh, uh, I salute and applaud uh, your professor, your school, your teacher right there. I didn't get his first name. didn't hear him repeat it. What is it, Melvin? Melvin, yeah. Uh, yeah, okay. Well, uh, he is to be uh, uh, congratulated, uh, again, because he's giving them additional knowledge, and that's very, very creative. I would say of all the, I've probably done a 1,000 of these radio, oh, way more than a 1,000 of these radio programs in the last 25 years, I think it's the first time I've ever had a teacher call in and say his classroom is listening. So... Uh, Uh, Again, uh, I I salute and applaud you.
0: That's fantastic. I think there's another one here, um, Harvey, that these students might like, which is another one of your aphorisms, which is, we are judged by what we finish, not what we start.
1: That's right. That's right. Everybody, everybody, uh, uh, there's no question about it. They all have dreams. They all have aspirations. Uh, I have never yet met a successful person. Okay? That hasn't had to overcome either a little or a lot of adversity in his or her life. And therefore, every time you start something, you start a project, there's going to be obstacles everywhere. There are going to be problems everywhere. And as long as you're focused, that's the key word, and you want to finish that program, which is in that aphorism, is what you finish that counts, the final result, that happens to be excellent. Also, I think I would like to have those students that are listening uh, write down the following. I'm sure they've never heard of it before, and it's a beautiful philosophy, and here it is. The biggest room in the world is the room for improvement.
0: That's oh, yeah. Money.
1: I talked about that before. The biggest room in the world is the room for improvement. Students, everybody listening, write that down. I just talked about all those <laughs> coaches, coaches I had. Why do I do that? Because everything I do, I can improve. I can get better. You know, um, I've come off of a three, let's see, it was 33 cities in 39 days. Uh, basically, I've been promoting my book now for, for three months. And people would always ask me on the radio, like this interview, you know, what would you like on your tombstone? So here it is, gang. Are you ready?
0: Okay. let's. I, I, I want to hear this, and, and students at, in Red Oak, prepare to write this down.
1: <laughs> he couldn't sleep fast enough. What do I mean by that? I, yes, hate to that's, go to, I think
0: that's what the students are asking right now. What do you mean by that?
1: I, I hate to go to bed at night. I'm afraid I I'll see. miss something. I was born excited. Uh, uh, and, and, and I'm not telling them to stay up all night. You get your six or seven or eight hours sleep, nine hours, whatever is best for you, and of course your doctors can advise you. Some people need seven, <laughs> some people need need nine. Everybody's different, different strokes for different folks. But hey, you know when you get up in the morning, you, you know, And I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to name drop, but just one minute before I went on this program, I happened to be talking to Larry King. He's a very very good friend of mine i've been on his program all six books i have 10 million books out again in 80 countries and 46 languages that wouldn't have happened without larry king Uh, uh, that's all because i was on his show all these times but the reason why i mention his name is what i learned from him he he had a guru on his program from india his name was 32 letters uh, long i can't remember it or even pronounce it that's not to make fun of 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 indian names it was just too long for me to remember but he said harvey he said you won't believe what i learned he said every morning i get up in the morning now here's what he learned from the guru as soon as his eyes open up larry said he would say to himself as the eyes hit the ceiling okay it's a gift and if you could teach high school students that college students that it's a gift Every single day. So that's what I do now. Every day I get up, I say, it's a gift, and I can't wait to get started. So that's the philosophy I'd like to, again, remind those students who are listening.
0: Excellent advice. And thanks, uh, everybody at, uh, at Red Oak, for listening to Office Hours. Uh, it's a treat to have you here. I hope you're enjoying the program. Thanks so much for the call. And, and, uh, we're and talking go to, about that was
1: Dallas, to... Dallas, Texas, wasn't it?
0: Red uh, Red Oak, you know, I'm not sure. We'll have to look up. uh, We'll have to look up where exactly Red Oak is. I think it's in the Dallas uh, metro. I'm pretty sure it's in the Dallas area. If it's in the Dallas area, area. then
1: I have to get one more sentence in there. Uh, I flew to see the seventh game. I told you I'm an NBA junkie, but uh, I have Lakers season tickets. I I did bring the Minnesota Timberwolves to Minnesota. I'm very proud of that. Don't own them. But I did fly to see the seventh game last year where Dallas won uh, all the marbles in the NBA basketball it game. It is
0: it is in the it is in the Dallas Metroplex, uh Red One. So maybe some for, of those kids
1: for, maybe some of those kids have some have some heroes on that team. There they there could like be some anything.
0: there could be some there could be some Mavs fans, although probably fewer than there were last year because the Mavs are struggling <laughs> just a, a yes, little a a little bit here, but uh Let's go to uh, another call, another, you know, I'm glad to have a fellow NBA fan on Office Hours here. Uh, Let's go to uh, Phoenix, Arizona, home of the the Phoenix Suns. Uh, Phoenix, you're on the air.
1: Why, thank you, Dan and Harvey. One of the things that that I want to talk about or or get your uh, opinion about is in my type of work, I'm constantly
0: talking to people about values, what they value, and I'm finding that with social media. A lot of folks don't seem to have core values anymore or at
1: least can't articulate them. Do you think that the uh, prominence of social media with Facebook, Twitter, and stuff like that kind of impedes uh,
0: the uh, deep thought in people of saying, what do I really believe in because they are amassed with so much information?
1: Yes, I mm-hmm. think you nailed it. I think you hit, hit it on the head, and I uh My only comment is I I agree with you uh, not 99%, but but 100%. 100%. And, of course, that goes right back to my friend uh, Lou Holtz, who every single day of his life is always talking about core principles, core values. What do you believe in? That's what really counts. And, of course, we were watching, I just said earlier, I spent three days and three nights with him uh, uh, playing golf, hitting that little white pellet around. So, of course, we're watching on Tuesday night the returns coming in. And we're watching all the different kinds of persons talking from all over the country, you know, in different directions, knowing we know for sure that's not their core principles and that's not their core values. And that's on both sides of the aisle, too. Uh, We know, uh, again, what's happened with the U.S. Senate and the House of Representatives and Congress about their approval ratings, sickening, disgusting, beyond comprehension, How low it is. And so, yes, is that social media, Uh, you know, just absolutely blitzing all 7.2 billion people on this planet? Uh, uh, There are not the same core values. The principles of this country are going in the wrong direction from my perspective. And of course, that all starts out with so that, what's
0: the, what's the what's the remedy for that harvey? I mean, I, thank you for the call uh, what's the what's the what's the remedy for that? How do you I mean I'm not sure I necessarily agree. I, I think that 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 in some ways social media uh, can reflect our values so there're values of transparency, there's values of co- of collaboration. but what's the remedy for that? and I, we have a question also from uh, a, a Twitter question which I've been a little remiss on looking at here. Uh, we have Kristen from. Uh, New Haven, Connecticut, asking about um, how do you how do you reckon with a world of social media where there's so much information out there? Um, how do you stay true to your values? How do you go back to the core in the midst of this welter of information?
1: Well, first of all, you know, let's let's set the table on where we are. We've got an ec- yeah. got an economic tsunami that hit in 2008. We've got we've got we've got 12 to 14 million people unemployed, and 50 percent of them have been unemployed for more than a year, which is all catastrophic. Uh, so so what's happened here? And people, uh, I tell my kids, uh, don't talk recession to me. Two years ago, you talk about a mini depression. The people that are hurting out there are. Are, again it's just incredible it's uphill into the wind you know how many families are are you know homes are underwater and so forth so we're taking a we're taking a very bad economic time here and everybody's trying to survive and that does sometimes in tough times especially when you've got the internet and I'm a big huge believer i've got i don't know they say i'll be at 100,000 people following me in twitter at the end of this year i'm just getting into it and Bang overnight! I think we're at twenty or twenty-five thousand. Not being braggadocio. so I believe in tweeting. I believe in getting the uh, the message out. I believe in Facebook. I have all my core principles out there. I'm trying to teach every second minute, hour, day, week, month, year, my core principles to have my people, you know, that are interested in what I write, read me. And that goes in, again, to the 10 million newspapers I write for. But I'm one single human being. I I don't agree with you, Uh, Dan. I certainly respect your opinion. But when I see what's going on in our country, I can tell you unequivocally, from my experience, these values and core principles and people and representations, the direction and the needle is going in the wrong way. And it hit its zenith. It hit its apex in 2008, with all of the misrepresentations from the mortgage industry to the securities sure. industry to the bankers to the to the politicians, to, it's just sickening. So, so I can't agree with you on that one.
0: Okay, let's let's uh, we only have a few minutes left. Uh, I'm going to take see if we can squeeze in one. Are you ready for one more call here? It's another one from uh, uh, the Dallas Metroplex, Plano, Texas. Plano, you're on the air with Harvey McKay. What's your question? Hello, Plano. All right, let's go. I think Plano has uh, Plano has disappeared. Maybe um, – well, we don't know what happened to Plano, but it's, an, it's a lovely place. Um, Harvey, a couple more questions before we wrap up. We only have a few minutes left. Uh, I want to talk to you a little bit about about empathy. Tell me about empathy as a tool in business. What do you think of it?
1: Well, it starts with it starts with admiration. It starts with it starts with mentoring. It starts with uh, having empathy to be a good manager. It starts with you always. Uh, every time I interview, and I'm in my boardroom right now, uh, uh, I'm interviewing somebody right after this this interview, and and the empathy that you have to have and put yourself in the other person's shoes is the best way to manage. Uh, from my perspective, again, without question, uh, uh, make decisions you think, with your heart. There, go right ahead.
0: Do you think that that I mean I, I agree with you about the importance of empathy. Do you think that gives a little bit of an advantage to women as managers as salespeople?
1: Well, that, that's a whole different book and a whole different report <laughs> uh, uh, all, all by itself. And maybe, but, but let me. I'm glad you asked that question though, because let me hit one very important. Uh, a topic here in 60 seconds if I can. First of all, as far sure. as women managers, women do have more empathy. W- women are just incredible what's happened in the last 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, they are different kinds of managers. They are more successful in different fields of endeavor without question. Uh, I've raised $100 million in the Twin Cities, sir. Never took a responsibility as chairman without having a woman at my side, co-chairpersons. But here we go. Let me just Describe what's happening with women in the workforce this very minute. These are last year's stats. 65% all of the women, okay, all the students, these are colleges, that majored in pharmacy were women. 65% pharmacy graduates, women. MBAers, 42% were women. Law school, 44% women. Medical school, 46% women. Women entrepreneurs multiplying two, three, four times faster than men. According to Carlson Wagenley, that's the world's largest travel agency. All right, as of three years from now, women business uh, 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 flyers, travelers, will equal their male counterparts. That's up from 14%. Women wow. business travelers will be equal with them. And then I call that's this amazing. man bites dog. Women business owners, okay, employ more people than all of the Fortune 500 companies combined. And as of Two years ago, there are more business owners, women business owners, than there are male business owners. So some of these social paradigms have been shattered.
0: Exactly, and I'm glad to see that um, after seven successful books, uh, a long career, you're still out there pushing envelopes and shattering those those paradigms. I want to uh, recap here, Harvey, before saying goodbye to you. Uh, give our listeners a little bit of a recap of some of the highlights here, because uh, I love these fortune cookies. Uh, being a mule beats being an ass any day. Uh, amateurs practice until they get it right. Professionals practice until they can't get it wrong. Uh, one we didn't talk about, which I love, which is that you can buy flattery, but envy must be earned. Uh, live and work like your mother is watching. And all the moms out there, I think, would like that one. And finally, we are judged by what we finish, not by what we start. Harvey McKay, it's a pleasure to have you on Office Hours. Again, ladies and gentlemen, the book is The McKay MBA of Selling in the Real World. Harvey, where can people find out more information about you and your book, The McKay MBA of Selling in the Real World?
1: Yeah, well, just harveymckay.com is, is my website, but but uh, the harveymckay.com forward slash bonus uh, if they buy the book, if they're gonna if they're gonna buy the book, they can go to harveymckay.com forward slash bonus. They're on their word of honor, and they'll get that twelve ninety <laughs> five book networking book mailed to them, or they can download the book uh, at no price. At no okay, uh, you know, so within minutes, a,
0: a special a special offer. So go to uh, harveymckay.com forward slash bonus. Uh, uh thank you harvey it's been a pleasure talking to you that's it for office hours thanks for being with us this program will be available for download for free in a few days at danpink.com uh, as harvey mentioned to learn more about his book himself and his book the mckay mba of selling in the real world uh just go to harvey harveymckay.com or harvey slash bonus for the special offer uh, and join us uh, for the next round of upcoming interviews here on Office Hours. We've got a really, really, really great lineup uh, coming up here. We have got we have got Jonah Lehrer coming up on April, talking about imagination and creativity. In May, we've got Tom Peters talking about management, careers, and life in general. It's an all-star lineup. We'd love to have you back. Until then, for producer Tim Grawl in uh, producer Joseph Hinson today in Lynchburg. Uh, Director Jessica Lerner here at World Headquarters, I'm Daniel Pink. This is Office Hours. If you've missed an episode, check us out on iTunes. Thanks for listening.